Nearly every year in Canada, we're now experiencing serious cold snaps, intense summer storms, devastating wildfires, and those are having a big impact on a very popular drink. Okay, so what I've brought in today to, for you to take a look at are two red wines from a family estate winery in British Columbia. That's the Globe's wine writer, Christopher Waters. They are the exact same grape varieties. They are the same label. They sell for the same price point. One is from 2019, which is tastes the way you would expect this wine to taste. And the other is the current release from 2021 that unfortunately shows the impact of smoke. This wine was made in a year with serious wildfires in BC's Okanagan region, where the grapes were grown. And Christopher says those wildfires changed the wine. All right, and we're not just going to take your word for it. We're actually going to try these bottles of wine. So maybe let's start with the the untainted one, maybe, okay. the 2019. We've got some wine glasses That's there. That's right. Beautiful. I'm a journalist, not a sommelier, so forgive my pores. This looks pretty good. So, yeah, so... So the wine that probably would have been released uh, two uh, two years ago, but still very much in its prime. But yeah, it has all that kind of plummy and spice and a little bit of, um, uh, you know, it's getting a bit savory. Some Even if it's to, to the uninitiated, mm-hmm. it smells like wine. Right? I'm going to say, yes, my palate is not yeah, as refined as yours, yeah. but it smells like nice smells, red wine to me. It smells yeah. like something you'd put in your mouth, Yeah. Right. for lack of a better term. <laughs> right? Let's give this a try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so really fine use of oak aging and, you know, a well-made wine, a very fine example. It has a beginning and a middle and an end of what makes a great wine. It's like a story. So this is the twenty, the 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've also got the 2021. So this is what you say is the, the smoke-tainted year. Yes, then. this unfortunately from the Southern Okanagan shows... A little bit too much campfire, or a little bit too much, uh, maybe we've had a Cohiba cigar. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm trying to see if it smells any different. It should. And so here's one of the things to think about is that... Oh, it does, actually. From 2021, this should be showing a lot more of the fruit, a lot more freshness, lots of plummy, lots of dark berry, lots of, um, lots of recognizable fruit with some oak aging. All right, let's taste this one. Yeah, something a little heavier Mm -hmm. about that taste. Yeah, it's got a bit more of a base note to it, but I also find there's this acrid and sharpness that wasn't in the first wine. Okay, so my palate isn't the same as Christopher's, but I let the wine sit for a while, and then I could really taste it. Oh, this one tastes very different now. Yeah, now that there's more air wow. into it. Yeah. Wow. I'm actually really surprised at how different this now tastes. Now that it's, yeah. It's a lot smokier. Or like Even just smelling it, yeah. I, I get campfire now. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. It's undeniable that there's a really serious smoke yeah, that's, taint to that wine. That's a very different taste than the 2019 bottle. Wow. 
that's what is happening, you know, whether it's British Columbia, whether it's Australia, California, all of these places around the world where vineyards are growing near places where wildfires are happening. Yeah. This is the potential, that ripple effect that can come. And it's not just wildfires affecting our wine. As climate change gets worse, winemakers are trying to figure out how to keep their crops alive and how to stay afloat. So today, Christopher tells us how Canada's wine sector is faring and why it's such an important industry to pay attention to in the struggles with climate change. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and this is The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> well, that was a very fun start to our, uh, our interview. What has this year been like for wine producers in Canada? It seems cliche because I've been covering wine in this country since 1998 and how frequently in terms of climate change, I hear the terms, this has never happened before. And it's, mm. like, it's, and it's not even the new normal because the, that would suggest that there's a certain kind of rhythm to it, but it really is unexpected. And what's rare about this year is usually there's one wine region that really takes it on the chin while the other regions in the country blithely kind of get by there, but for the grace of God, so to speak. But if you look at Nova Scotia, Ontario, and British Columbia, all of them have faced extreme challenges and really been taxed to the limit of how sustainable how how do you manage this how do you get a crop out of this you know looking at british columbia that started the year off with a very small amount of viable grapevines because mm. they had extreme frost um same scenario in nova scotia a cold front came and actually killed this year's crop and in some instances killed the actual vines so they're looking at replanting so there's been the cold has been kind of the weather stuff as well as the wild wildfires uh, as well as wildfires seen. in British Columbia as well as Ontario by on the surface looks well you didn't have the extreme cold you didn't this year you didn't have ex- but they've had you know they had they're looking at this the variability of the hot you know the wettest summer and then the the driest kind of September mm-hmm. so it's how do you manage a vineyard when you get four seasons and and extremes all at once so, Chris, we spoke to a few winemakers in Canada. One of them is Bill Rettelmeyer, and I know you've spoken with him as well. He's the owner of Southbrook Vineyards in Niagara-on-the-Lake, uh, and he's been seeing these changes on his vineyard. Global warming is not an issue. Global weirding is the issue. It's the, the wild swings in weather. It's, it's when we bought the property in 2005, moved to Niagara, Everybody said, oh, it's great. The temperature never goes below minus 20. And grapes are happy at minus 20. But since then, 2014, 2015, and 2022, we've had significant events in the minus 25 or colder range. In 2022, it was minus 24.8 here in our vineyard. And we lost most of last year's crop. And this is drastically affecting producers, right? I know the, the BC wine growers said that their their production is down 39 to 56%. Yeah. Significant. There. And that's early stages. So that's usually, they're usually a bit more optimistic in those ones. And then it's what actually they, they bring in. Hmm. Nova Scotia was similar. They're looking at, you know, no Chardonnay, no Riesling. 
and even the hybrid grape varieties suffering, which is unheard of because those are well known to be workhorses and they they can kind of weather the weather no matter the weather, whether yeah. they like it or not, so to speak. But no, it's it's an extreme challenge, especially if you're a family farm and you are farming your own vineyard. And th- this is all you're working with is what, what's in your backyard. It's also a challenge for the bigger companies finding available fruit can be a challenge because, you know, this used to be the way of the world. It's like, okay, well, if if a Soyuz had a bad freeze... Could balance out you, a little you could bit. Look at, you yeah. could look in other parts of the Okanagan. Mm. You, you could find grapes elsewhere. But when it's manifesting itself up and down the valley and it's a challenge everywhere, like it's, it's never been seen before. Um, but this is not totally new this year, though, right? Like, how long have winemakers in Canada been, been struggling with stuff like this? I'd have to think back to, you know, I remember talking to one of the veteran wine growers in Niagara in 2000, Donna Laley, you know, said that we were starting to prepare ourselves for extremes, extreme cold, extreme heat, extreme drought, extreme rain, and that makes it very hard to manage but they've been talking about it, but it really has ramped up in the last, you know, three to four years where, you know, the cycle, this seems to be speeding up. And a lot of this industry was ailing coming out of the pandemic and they really needed some to get some runs on the board, right? They really needed to have some good harvest. They needed to get tour, welcome tourism back. And all of those things are down, sizably down or certainly down against the average. And you mentioned winter here mm. as, as kind of a, a critical time. I guess what's happening in the winter and, and how is it affecting vineyards? I think what we're seeing in the real problematic aspects of, of the winter is that sometimes we're getting on, we're getting a very early frost in December. Those vines haven't really kind of, they haven't gone to bed yet. They, mm. they, 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 in some cases, had a crop on them three weeks ago. You know, the vine itself is very susceptible too cold at that point in time. So if we get these early winters, which we are seeing Mm -hmm. increasingly, that can be a problem. So will the vine be hurt or ruined, I guess, with the cold temperatures? Cold temperatures will almost always hurt the buds that are going to be your crop for the next year. In worst case scenario, it could actually be damaging. You know, it could actually take out the vine, in Mm -hmm. which case then you're looking at a replant. And I know you've you've gone to visit some wineries this year, Christopher. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess what have you seen? Like, what impact are these climate events having on them? It's yielding a lot less wine. Going to visit, you know, someone like Thomas Batchelder, who makes Chardonnay and Pinot Noir in Niagara, and seeing many, many barrels, but a small fraction of barrels that actually have wine in them that aren't just well. These are for next year because there was no wine. Less wine because there there were just less grapes there that made There was less it. grapes. So there's certainly less to sell, which means from a business standpoint, it's like, how do you keep the lights on? How do you keep employ? How do you keep your vineyard up to standards when, you know, this year, a lot of people were farming vineyards with no grapes. But if you, you couldn't just take the year off and say, well, I'll catch it next year. You had to basically start setting it up for rejuvenation. And mm. and so you're paying all of this money and not receiving any dividends from selling wine. That's difficult from yeah. a business perspective. Yeah. We also spoke with two people from Tantalus Vineyards. This is out in BC, uh, David Patterson and Stephanie Mosley. And I understand you went to see them as well at the vineyard. Uh, this is what they told us. In a more organic system like ours, we're, we're very happy with three metric tons of grapes per acre. And at the moment, I would say that we're maybe 10% of that. 
So to give you an idea, we, we would normally make or try to make 10 to 12,000 cases of wine. And this year we would make about maybe 2,000 cases off our property. Seeing uh, the hard winter year after year kind of hit the vineyard is, is heartbreaking. Um, you know, it's pretty devastating. I think we have hope every season. Okay, let's, you know, let's see what takes place this winter. Let's get maybe a bit of a bumper crop. And we've just been hit hard a number of years in a row. We really shouldn't understate the, the the business side of this, right? Because I understand that there are also a lot of wineries that are up for sale right now. Can, can you tell me about that? The Since the harvest has started, suddenly, um, you know, social media is chock-a-block, particularly in British Columbia, with, with wineries and very well-known properties that are for sale. Uh, you know, insiders have said, you know, it's upwards of 60 to 80 wineries that are oh, for sale wow. in the Okanagan, which is um, meaningful when you have maybe, that's 10%, that's roughly 10% of the operating farm wineries across the country. On a normal year, what would you imagine? How many would be up for sale? Maybe it'd be closer to six or eight, kind of. Six or eight as opposed yeah. to 60 as or As opposed 80. to six, yeah. And so it, it's a significant um, issue and one that's not going to solve itself overnight. We'll be right back. I think something we should maybe address at this point, Christopher, is, is, you know, why are we talking about wine? Because, you know, when it comes down to it, wine is a bit of a luxury, right? It's not a, a staple crop or anything. And climate change has so many different effects around the world. So, But why is it important to pay attention to what's happening here in the wine industry? Well, I think... It's important to remember that from an agricultural standpoint, and Canada is an agricultural country, this is the highest value-added agricultural product we have in the country. We're talking about, you know, the 2019 is the most recent data, but we're talking about $11.6 billion. The hammer-on effect is what comes from wine tourism, is what comes from... You know, you're spending a dollar on a Canadian wine usually nets about three or four dollars in added business. So whether that's restaurants, or that's hotels, or any type of you know, there, there's a number of benefits that come from this product. Okay, so the money is important. So that 11.5 billion—that's what the wine industry contributes to the Canadian economy. So significant. But I also wonder, I guess, from a, a climate change perspective, like when we're looking at the effects of this on wines, like can this kind of, I guess, signal what maybe is more to come? Yeah, I mean, what you're seeing in a tender fruit like a grape is less resistant in the same way that way back when they used to set up vineyards with roses planted at the front of each row hmm. because the rose would show any blight, any disease resistant, any oh, any problems sooner than the vine. So arguably the grapevine does that for so many other forestry, for whatever, you know, any number of things because it is the next kind of weaker species that that shows this and you know, the vagaries of what's happening we're seeing firsthand because not only do you see the fruit and you see how it develops, but we also see what happens when you ferment that juice and turn it into wine. You and can, you can taste you can it taste like we it. just did. Yeah. yeah. Wow. We are seeing warmer summers often now, right? So what does that what does that mean for the grapes as they're ripening? It can mean wonderful things. 
you know, warm and dry can be great for a grape variety because it's going to, you know, get you the ripeness. A grape variety, any any cultivated variety will basically gain sugar as mm. it ripens. Um, the acidity drops, it gains flavor. But what we're seeing is, you know, warmer, drier temperatures might actually stress the grapevine out to the degree that the fruit doesn't go on this natural kind of progression. And so it starts to taste actually, Riesling starts to show more diesel and oh. a gasoline kind of flavors because the vine itself was stressed and it didn't give you that lovely kind of peach and pear and and lime zest, the, the, all that kind of lovely fruit salad aspect that you would expect in a really well-made Riesling. You suddenly get something that's like, it's just simply because at a certain point in time, the vine shut down or it went in, you know, it didn't progress the way it was supposed to. Hmm. Okay. So the actual flavor of the wine sounds like it can be very affected here. Um, and I've also heard that the alcohol content of the wine can change too. How, how, do, how does that happen? Well, more sugar in the grapes translates to more alcohol in the wine. And certainly we've seen alcohol levels in wine uh, climb on the whole. Wines, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you'd look at a bottle of wine and 12% alcohol would be commonplace from many parts of Bordeaux, many parts of, of Burgundy. Now, current releases of the very best wines, we're knocking at about 15% alcohol. So mm. some of it's trend. You want riper grapes, but it's also the natural factors of growing grapes in Bordeaux has changed. It's warmer, it's drier. So it's like, okay, we'll go in and pick early. Well, what we were talking about, remember, sugar accumulates flavors. You're waiting for the flavors to develop. So you can't just go in and pick early. But the one thing that we can change, the one thing, the variability that changes is that they'll change the variety. So I wonder, what are what are some other ways that winemakers, in Canada particularly, um, are doing to, to try to protect their crops? From a winter injury, you know, there's a lot more geothermal and textile blanketing that's being used. There's mm. inversion fans have been dotting the landscape in wine country for a significant number of years. In some instances, winemakers might make the call, instead of making a full-bodied red wine, maybe there'll be a lot of rosé made mm. in areas that were blanketed by smoke because the smoke itself affects the skin of the grape a lot more than the actual berry. So if we're not going to have a lot of skin contact, maybe all that kind of um, the smoke mm. effect won't happen if we press very gently and make a rosé instead of a red wine. Because the rosé would not have the skin on you it. You shouldn't have, yeah. Wood. Wow. Oh. Uh, just lastly here, Christopher, I mean, it feels like the wine industry is going through a, a pretty significant shift, really having to do a lot of adapting here. So, you, you know, you're watching closely everything that's going on. Uh, how, how do you feel about the future of Canada's wine industry? Increasingly, what we're seeing is, you know, a number of people who are very successful in other ventures. Mm. They can continue to invest in these wineries that in a year like 2023 probably isn't going to make a lot of money. What all about of the, these the things. The taste of the wine, like do you, th- do you the think- taste of the wine has never been better. Mm-hmm. Like Canadian wine, even in challenging years, and the reality is, it's like the vintage that we're actually enjoying. The wines that will be labeled twenty twenty three, there's going to be people who caught lightning in the bottle because they manage the cokes, their grapes through all of those challenges and get happy, healthy grapes into the winery that they were able to make wine out of. And they were able to make those wines without a compromise to produce a red or white or sparkling, a rosé, an orange wine, what, what, anything you know that will actually curl your toes, that will just kind of get, put a smile on your face. 
And there's going to be those wines from 2023. They're just going to be perhaps harder to find. All these diligent, dedicated wine growers, vineyard workers, winemakers, they get one shot each year to make wine. And the longer they're in it, they get better and better and better at it, no matter what they have to worry about. What It's no longer a case of, can we do these types of wines in Canada? It's like, you know, can we how? do? They're yeah. adapting. They're yeah. figuring out how to do it. Yeah. Christopher, thank you so much for being here today and for bringing in the wine. <laughs> You're very welcome. I'm going to take another sip. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Jay Coburn edited this episode. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Adrian Chung is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>